What's going on, everybody? It is time for a very special bonus episode of the So Wizard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey DiCarlo. With me right now is the man, the myth, the legend, the awesome Adam Wally Hawk. Adam, what's going on? Hey, not too much. Got a lot of interviews in. It's really cool. Right. So we've got a bunch of interviews that we've done over the last few weeks. We wanted to release them all as bonus episodes for you so you can check them out. Get them nice and isolated for you so you can jump right into that awesome content. Today we've got an interview with Kelly Kennedy, who is one of the uh, creators behind Orphan Black, the next chapter on the cereal box. Adam, tell us a little bit about this. Uh, Hallie Kennedy has actually written some of the Orphan Black comic books that supplemented the show and continued on after the show. And after the series wrapped, the series creators approached a team of writers who were also Uber fans about continuing the show. And they even got the lead actress who plays like the 12 main leading roles in the show to do the audio version. Awesome. So let's hear all about this exciting project. Uh, fans of Orphan Black, this has to be a pretty a pretty cool thing. Uh, are you a huge fan of the show, Adam? I was, actually. It was a really innovative show. Nice. Nice, nice. So, this has got to be a big deal for you. Let's check it out. I'm talking to Heli Kennedy, who is a writer on many things, but most recently, Orphan Black, the next chapter on Serial Box. Hi, Adam. Um, hey, how you doing? Good, good. Um, I kind of wanted to start at the beginning and go through your writer's journey, if that's all right. Sure. I gather you started very, very young, like exceptionally young. Yeah, kind of, I guess, in an informal way that I tried to formalize through school. Um, I started writing when I was about six years old, and uh, I was really into Nancy Drew. And I wrote, I basically modeled a lot of my, I don't know if what they call them novellas, they're probably a lot shorter. I thought they were novels at the time. They're probably <laughs> only like five pages long. I modeled them after Nancy Drew books, and I added a bizarre sci-fi interdimensional twist to them because uh, I liked sci-fi and Star Trek, so I tried to mash them up. Um, and uh, and then at school, I continued writing uh, books and picture books for kids in my class, and I had a little team that I would work with, and we would I would write, and they would illustrate and then bind the books, and we made books at school, essentially. Wow, that's really advanced for a six-year-old. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, uh, it was just something that struck me and I really wanted to do it. It seemed like a mountain that I could not climb. And uh, when I started writing and creating stories, I kind of couldn't stop. I, I wanted to write a longer story, a story with different types of characters or explore, you know, make people laugh or make people, I guess, I don't know, just get reactions out of the class at the time I, that was sort of my favorite thing about it oh, that's really cool i was going to ask what the spark was but it sounds like the spark was just to create yeah kind of to create and connect i think that's like been primary primarily uh my driving forces that's really cool um so you are doing orphan black now but before that it seems like you've done some really cool projects ranging from video games to comic books you want to talk about that yeah, sure. So I also wrote uh, comic books for Orphan Black. Uh, I come from mainly a screenwriting background. I, uh, as I grew up, I kind of morphed into wanting to make films with my friends and took my my writing towards that. And I, uh, from there, I ended up getting into Orphan Black and doing a three series for them, comic book series, uh, based on characters and 
creating backstories and some of them uh, continuing beyond the show or doing an alternate reality. And I also uh, write in the video game industry. So I write for a company called Ubisoft. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's a little bit of everything when you write for a video game. So I've really enjoyed doing it. It's a bit of screenwriting. It's, there's a lot of prose in it. You write a lot of text. Um, you, and some of the writing is actually not even comparable to most mediums out there, most formats. So uh, yeah, it's really fascinating. I, I love writing for that, for, for games. Essentially, well, it's mainly open. Sorry? <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Go ahead. No, it's mainly open uh, open world games that I've done. So big kind of worlds where you can run around and and either follow a storyline uh, that has somewhat of a linear fashion or has a branching uh, narrative, or you can kind of meander and pick and choose what you want to do or not do any of it at all and find standalone stories or just observe the environmental storytelling. So when you write for video games, you kind of run the whole gamut where you do the narrative of the main plot and also maybe just a random guy you bump into in an alleyway? Exactly. Yeah. Kind of a bit of everything. There's a lot of, uh, you're basically just populating an entire world with stories. So it could be a building will have a backstory and sometimes you'll find it in a note or a plaque or you'll just see it because the art ends up telling the story that we've kind of come up with um, or we collaborate with art and we have a back and forth and we build a narrative with them sometimes. There's so many different ways to build uh, stories and narratives in games. So uh, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of everything. It's really nice. It felt, I was a big fantasy nerd growing up. So going to games was extremely attractive because it was world building. And that's, that's very kind cool. of, yeah, it's kind of like one of the coolest things about the fantasy genre and sci-fi. You get to build world. Uh, do a lot of world building things. So for the comics you did, uh, all three series were all Orphan Black and you did them all with IDW, correct? That is correct, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, the first one was a backstory about a clone named MK who was on the TV show. And we published them before the show aired. So we were kind of like walking a fine line between giving away too much or, and, and um, it, that was a little bit tricky, but it was really cool to sort of uh, delve into a clone that no one had seen yet. And then uh, another one was an alternate reality where uh, the concept essentially was, what if Sarah had run into Beth on the train platform that day, which starts the series and Beth hadn't killed herself. And they ended up having to go through all of the um, the the journey together uh, in terms of finding out who they were and who Dyad was, Dyad was, and and what that meant, what it meant to be a clone. So kind of pairing a cop character and a criminal together. And then the third series, um, which we unfortunately didn't finish, uh, picked up where the show left off and followed Cosima and Delphine around the world. Oh, this is major spoilers. Oh my God. I should, I should say major spoilers. <laughs> I, I, I always forget that. Um, following them around the world as they cure clones. That's really cool. How did you uh, link up with IDW? Did you bring any ideas to them or did they have to get the property rights before? Um, they had already had a deal going with Orphan Black. Um, and I, I knew uh, the filmmakers, as well, the, the creators of the show and the, a lot of the writers in the room, uh, we were all kind of connected through the same professional development program up in Toronto, Canada. 
And um, I had met the editor on the project um, kind of just uh, the year before. And when they were looking for a writer, I kind of caught wind of that. And then I just ended up applying for the job and got it, which was cool. That's very cool. Yeah, it was. I was pretty excited. It was. I really love writing for that format as well. That felt like a little bit like writing for film and semi-directing and working with an artist who helps. Like it's almost like having a co-director or a DOP that you're working with. So that was super fun to work with extremely talented artists. For sure, I checked out some of the books and the artwork is fantastic. Yeah, we had uh, Wayne Nichols, who's based in Australia, and another artist uh, named Fico Osio. Um, oh, man, we've had a number of artists, actually, amazing cover artists like Cat Staggs. Yeah, it was really, I felt kind of spoiled, actually, to be honest. Um, and it, it's, yeah, it's just so cool to see when you, you write something that feels like it's screenwriting with a comic book format, you get to see it come to fruition a lot quicker than screenwriting and you get to see it in its final state so it's really satisfying as a writer to to see a project come together a collaboration like that yeah that's a very cool detail um speaking of your screenwriting uh background i saw that you wrote produced and even starred in some shorts oh my gosh yeah i, I did oh wow okay um yeah, uh, I, I've I've done a few shorts, a number of shorts. Uh, I don't act in all of my shorts, but I have a bit of an acting background as well. Kind of like a, I guess like a hangover from my filmmaking uh, era and in, in my teens, where you know you kind of adopted many different roles when you're making indie films. And I got into acting for a while, and uh, yeah, it, that that's that's kind of like. Um, it's an interesting journey to act in what you write because it's sort of at one point doesn't feel like yours. It feels like you're rediscovering it, trying to make it work on another angle. Um, but yeah, yeah, I have done that. I've, I've worn a lot of hats. Are those shorts available on online for people to look up or? Uh, yes, they are. Uh, one short frigid. Uh, it's a uh, psychological thriller. It's available online on YouTube. You can find it under the Omeletto channel. It's kind of an online film, uh, short film, curated short film channel. Um, and uh, yeah, check it out. It's dark. Um, I, I won't give away. It's got a bit of a, a twist, but it's uh, about a first time mother who suspects her husband has sinister intents for her and her baby that's very cool yeah definitely people should definitely go and check that out um i know toronto is one of the top places in the world for filming and it has been for quite a while did that influence your your path totally it totally did um growing up i grew up downtown so i go outside my front door and there'd be film trucks lined up down the street and they'd, you know, take over an entire school or block off uh, part of the neighborhood and they'd shoot. So I was running into shoots all the time uh, when I was a kid. So that really did influence it. Maybe want to be on set, just watching sets from the sidelines when I could. Uh, so I don't have any family that really did anything in that world. Uh, and I was always trying to do stuff like creating plays and art. So it only fueled the fire. It's really cool. You're right there in the world. It feels so accessible. Yeah, it does. I think it's really, you know, like if you can see it, you can be it kind of mentality. Uh, it really does help to be around uh, people and, and, you know, events and 
projects that are going on because I think it can inspire you a lot and uh, it just gives a level of reality to the notion that you can achieve something like that. So yeah, it was uh, actually now that you mentioned, I've never really thought about it, but yeah, I'm pretty grateful that I, uh, I had that kind of exposure even from that angle of just, you know, running into shoots. Definitely. Um, do you want to jump into uh, the next chapter now? Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, I imagine anyone listening to an interview with the writer of Orphan Black, the next chapter probably knows what Orphan Black is, but do you want to give your version of a quick rundown? Um, of the show? Of the show. Yeah. Be- before we get into the, the next chapter. Sure. Um, so Orphan Black is a show about a woman who by pure chance runs into someone on a subway uh, or a train platform one day who looks identical to her and witnesses her killing herself. Uh, this woman is a bit of a grifter, so she steals the, the, the dead woman's bag and takes off with it and uh, kind of assumes her identity. Turns out she's got a really nice lifestyle. She's got a nice townhouse. Uh, expensive car, very good looking boyfriend. And also it turns out that she's a cop, which kind of presents some problems and some, and some advantages to, uh, to assuming her identity being that the woman who took her identity was a criminal. And then as, as she digs through this woman's life, it's not as simple as, you know, just a, a well-off cop who was going through, um, some problems and decided to take her life. She realizes this woman was uh, hot on a, uh, a trail to discover who she truly was. And it turns out she's a clone. And by default, the woman that assumed her identity is a clone. So as they, as she goes down this rabbit hole, she meets more and more women that are like her from all different walks of life. There's a suburban housewife. Um, there is a kind of West coast, uh, uh, geneticist, an intellectual sort of with a hippie vibe. Um, she, so those are all the roles that Tatiana Maslany, uh, the actress in the show, played. And uh, it's really quite fun. It's darkly, it's, it's sci-fi, uh, but it's got a lot of humanity and uh, dark humor in it. And it's pretty grounded, despite the fact that every once in a while, there's a really, like, they throw you a curveball and something very bizarre happens. They've managed to weave it in quite successfully. So that's essentially what the series is about without giving away very much, though I blew a little bit of it in my comic book summaries, um, (laughs) just in case anyone hasn't seen it. And that was all shot and produced in Toronto. Does that help you get access, or were you just a fan from watching it on TV before you got involved in writing in that world? Um, actually, so the way I ended up uh, getting in touch with the production, I knew a lot of the people in the writing room and the show creators. I met them through, uh, um, basically it's a very small community in Toronto and I met them through other writers and filmmakers that I had come into contact with uh, through a place called the Canadian Film Center here. So we were all alum from this program uh, where it's basically kind of like a, a year-long boot camp where they take five writers, producers, um, editors, and directors, and they put them in a lab and you all collaborate together. And a lot of people come out of there and they continue those connections and collaborations. And that's kind of how uh, John Fawcett and Graham Manson, who created the show, uh, also met. They met through people connected to the film center as well. So 
uh, that's kind of how I got in touch with them. And I, 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 of course, I was a fan of the show. I need, had known Tatiana Maslany um, prior to the show because also like the acting community is quite small here too for locals who are Canadian. And uh, I was blown away by her. She's always been extremely talented. I've seen her in, in plays and other things and she blew me away in the show. She really just, she had this, the, the gig of a lifetime and then she just nailed it, you know? Uh, so yeah, I was really proud of her and really excited that a lot of people I knew had just created this thing that I was actually a massive uh, I was a massive fan of. Um, so yeah, long, long-winded answer. Yeah, that's kind of how I, I got in touch with them. No, that's really cool that you were kind of in that deep before you got hands-on involved with the world. Yeah, it was kind of funny because I, I didn't really, I'd heard about the show, but I hadn't really watched it. And it was my mom who went, oh my gosh, I really love this show, you know, and she's the one that told me about it. And when I watched it, I realized how many people ha were actually connected to it that I already knew. So it was a little wild to see it. Yeah, it's right in your own backyard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so now jumping into Orphan Black, the next chapter, which is your current project and your current orphan black project do you want to go a little bit into what that's about i know it's going to be harder to not give spoilers because that's still rolling out where the show wrapped like a year or two ago yeah exactly so um major spoiler alert i guess don't listen if you want to watch the show and you haven't seen any of it or listen and you can still enjoy it it's a pretty entertaining show um orphan black the next chapter picks up eight years after the end of the show so a lot of the characters at the end of the show are older. Um, they've established relationships. They've gone down different paths um, from where they left off after coming to terms with the fact that they are actually human clones and that they were try that people had tried to use them as intellectual property. They're, they they've come off a wild ride. So we've picked up eight years later. Things have quieted down a little bit. Um, Kira, who is uh, the daughter of Sarah Manning, one of the main clones in the show, kind of the heart of the TV series. She is now in her late teens. She's got more agency. She's got ideas of how she wants to live her life. Um, so we follow her a lot. And uh, Kasima Niehaus, who's another one of the central clones in the show, uh, and Delphine Cormier, uh, her wife, um, they're, they're married. That's a little bit of a spoiler. Um, we follow them and we pick up with, um, with something that happens to Kasima that starts to bring back um, echoes of the past. She encounters someone who is suspicious and they've all been living with by hiding their identity that they're clones. They've been kind of living uh, in a shell, hiding this reality to protect themselves. And she encounters someone who kind of rattles her safety net, makes her think that perhaps she's not as uh, well hidden as she believed she was. I do like the angle that you and your co-writers have taken with um, her continuing relationship and also um, Kira, uh, Kira's. I'm sorry, you just said the name. I'm so bad yeah, with names. Kira, exactly. Yeah, um, because obviously didn't grow up normal and those implications would be affecting her down the line. And since they were essentially someone else's property, what does that mean for the spawn of the clone? Um, and you really got to the, the human element of it quickly, which I thought was nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That was something that, um, 
we talked a lot about in the writing room because this is written um we all uh, this is written by six novelists and we all got together and kind of ran a tv style writing room and form the story based off of a pitch created by Malka Older, who's essentially our showrunner um, on the book series. And we really wanted to hone in on the idea of the aftermath and what that meant for Kira and her mother and her mother's overprotectiveness. So that was a really big uh, element of the this series. Because uh, I thought, you know, we realized that, you know, after going through that amount of trauma, there's not going to be, there are going to be aftershocks that will last probably to the end of a person's life. Absolutely. So I'm so glad that, that that's uh, coming through. So you got, um, you got hands-on ability to help shape this story before everyone broke off. Did you break off to write individual episodes? Because uh, I see on Serial Box, it's kind of credited to one or two writers at a time. Yeah, exactly. So um, we did break off. We got together for a writing room in which we arced the uh, 10 episode season. Um, and then we kind of assigned episodes to each of the writers, depending on, you know, their focuses, their strengths, what they were really, you know, crazy about, what they were hyped to get into story-wise and what they wanted to write. And then we all went off. We we all live in different parts of North America. So um uh, I live in Toronto along with uh, with Madeline Ashby and uh, Malka Older kind of lives all over the place. She travels a lot. She's um, and we had a writer in California, Michelle Baker and Eugene, I think, is Midwest. So it was kind of a lot of us forming the story and then breaking off to write, but always checking in a lot of Slack chats and and um, and Skype calls. We kind of had our own clone club call-in sessions in a way where we'd all show up on the split screens like the clones did in the tv series and we right. chat to each other so it was kind of it was really funny actually and how did you get involved with the project was that a, a direct translation from your comic book time or was it more of your connections through uh the toronto film and tv industry um well in working on the comic books i uh, ended up working with a lot of the producers on the show because so much of the content that I was writing was either going to give away certain storylines in coming seasons or, you know, had, you know, an effect on certain things. So I was collaborating and receiving notes from them a lot. And so when this had come around, the production company that was dealing with hooking up the Orphan Black brand with uh, Serial Box reached out to me because I'd sort of been working with the with Orphan Black for so long um, that they thought I would be someone that could be, I, I guess, helpful <laughs> in uh, in following storylines and and helping to keep character consistency and stuff like that. So I kind of got hooked up that way through them. Uh, and I was working with Malka Older earlier on. Um, when she uh, gave in her pitch, which was amazing. I loved her pitch. And we were just chit-chatting and riffing on things. And then when we got all the writers together, we kind of just exploded with even more content, which was cool. It sounds fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was It was really, it was, I've, I feel really lucky to have worked with these writers. They're extremely talented. I've learned so much from them. Um, and, you know, I've, I've also been terrified 
because they bring up a lot of, you know, very relevant things in science and the future of technology, which is ha having an impact on us now. And we touch on some of it in our in the in the next chapter. Um, Madeline Ashby is a futurist and she's got some she's always like informing us of, you know, what's what's the next thing with like facial recognition, what's happening with, you know, AI. So it was really cool. It was a really cool project to work on. Is there interesting implementations that definitely tie into the spirit of the show? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because Orphan Black Hunt was, that's what it hung on. It hung on, you know, pushing science to different, to different boundaries and the ownership of one's body and, and um, modification and, and genetics. So it was super important. Madeline brought a lot to the table for the, the series for sure. Are you able to shine any light on the decision to jump eight years? Um, in terms of jumping eight years, uh, we wanted to take them not too, too far in the future, uh, because we still wanted their lives to be, you know, somewhat recognizable. And we wanted to not miss certain, certain elements of what was going on in their lives eight years later. I think if we'd gone 15, we'd have to explain a lot to catch up with with you know with the characters because the show had ended so long ago in the timeline of the of the universe of the orphan black universe um and we were also kind of dancing around my comic book series uh crazy science which uh began at the end of the series and was meant to run for a two-year span in the orphan black timeline so we we're kind of jumping around trying to find a sweet spot where kira and charlotte um who's another clone are were a little bit older but you know we could track them through adolescence we could bring in you know another form of self-awareness of two adolescent girls coming to understand themselves in different ways as they grow up um and i think we wanted to kind of orphan black is set well, well when it, the show launched it was set present day and that was a pretty interesting choice because they put human cloning in present day, but they made it feel very real, grounded and possible. And I think we wanted to keep keep uh, the timeline close to present day because eight years later is essentially this year that we're living in right now um, in the Orphan Black universe. So we've basically caught everybody up to 2019, 2020 around there. Oh, that's actually very clever. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it's a cool choice. Um, I hope it, I hope it comes across well, and I think that uh, it, it'll be neat for fans to see the characters, um, just a like a stone's throw, uh, beyond the end of the show, kind of in their lives. And having um Tatiana Maslany doing the audio version of of the podcast of the the book series, I think it's really incredible for fans. Do you know she was always attached or was that just kind of like a great get? Um, it was always the intention to have her read these characters. Um, and, uh, I, you know, we are always were writing with her in mind, regardless of what, what would have happened. We were like, okay, you know, like we, we know that Tat's supposed to be involved in this, but you never know what happens in life. Right. But we'll, we'll always honor creating voices for her and, and trying to form, um, the characters around what she had left off in the show. So that was something we always had hoped would happen. And then thank God it worked out. 
For sure. Did it kind of influence how it was written knowing she was supposed to be doing the writing or because the characters had already been so established for five years on TV plus comic books, it was just kind of writing for the character. Um, I would say a little bit, the characters are so fleshed out now after all the work that all the writers and the show creators and Tat had done on the show. Um, and uh, so we definitely had a really good bedrock of, of material to draw from and inform the character. Uh, but in terms of the new clones that we've added to the Orphan Black universe, because we do have a bunch of new characters that Tatiana has now uh, voiced, we were definitely thinking about her the whole time. You know, like what, what would be interesting for her? What's a new change? What's the spin on the clone um, journey and walk of life? Uh, what would be an interesting accent or an interesting sort of, you know, psychological makeup for a character for her to dig into. So I was always trying to, when I was writing my episode, I was always trying to think of something that I could give her that she could play with um, and maybe just, you know, make her own and, and mold a little bit because her performance, I think does add so much more to these characters. Like she, she's, she, she is orphan black, right? You know, she is. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Um, and uh, I may have also, knowing Kat and seeing what she done, what she's done, thrown her some uh, new accents that she hasn't really done before. It's a friendly challenge. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's a there's a couple, there's a few new accents in my episode. So yeah, definitely writing with her in mind. That's very cool that you're just so closely connected, and you have the star who was the twelve main leads of the show. I know it's wild, hey. 12 different characters and multiple playing multiple characters in one shooting day. It's, I don't know how she, you know, tracked all that actually. Yeah. That's a good point. Like how do you get in the right headspace to, to do a scene where you're talking to yourself three different times? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. She managed to pull it off for sure. Well, it seems like orphan black was a really great fit given your, you know, personal relationships to people and being a sci-fi and world building fan and liking the science of like everything across the board, do you have another dream project you want to get your hands on? Um, well, I've got a kids novel that I've been writing that is uh, a fantasy novel that's sort of about magic and credit debt that I'd love to finish. That's what I've also been working on. And my ultimate dream project would be to write a fantasy series for both for screen and for print. Like that would be, that would be tops. Yeah. I think now's your time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would love to do that. I was a big Tolkien nerd. That's uh that's really cool. When you get those other series, uh, drop us a line and we can, we can push them out there for you. Thank you very much. I totally will. So do you want to uh, tell everybody where they can find you, more of your work, uh, your comics, your projects? Yeah, you can find me online uh, at Heli, H-E-L-I, Kennedy, K-E-N-N-E-D-Y, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find my comics uh, at idwpublishing.com or on Amazon or your local comic book shop. And you can find Orphan Black, the next chapter at SerialBox.com. And you uh, can buy a subscription either for their app or you can listen to it online off your, off your computer or laptop. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you buy a season pass for that. And we've got 10 episodes. We're about halfway through right now. 
Oh, that's great. Uh, thanks again for taking the time to sit down with me. This has been a lot of fun and very informative. Thank you so much for chatting. It was awesome talking. And we are back. That was a fantastic interview, Adam, with Helly Kennedy from The Orphan Black, the next chapter, a continuation on the Serial Box app. Um, any final thoughts there on the uh, interview? I actually was listening to the series in preparation for the interview and then followed through and finished the whole thing because it really does pick up after the show goes. So anyone who's a fan of Orphan Black, I recommend you check it out. Awesome. And uh, that's going to do it for this bonus episode of the So Wizard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey DiCarlo. With me has been the man, the myth, the legend, the awesome Adam Wallyhawk. We'll see you next week. Good journey.